I went to my network and I was talking to them and one guy was willing to invest a million dollars. Another guy was willing to invest, you know, $300,000 and another guy was going to invest like 200,000. So I'm like, oh, this will be easy. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went to them first. The one guy that had a million dollars, he was going to invest, invested zero. The, the guy that had $300,000 to invest, invested $50,000. And the guy that had $200,000 to invest ended up investing $100,000. Mm -hmm. So I was like, crap. <laughs> if you're an active real estate investor and you're looking to do larger deals, you're in the right place. We are going to go and take the conceptual type of stuff that you listen to from other real estate podcasts and bring it down to the tactical, the nitty gritty, the actual actionable types of things that other real estate investors that went big did to grow their own real estate empire. You're listening to the Go Big Live podcast. I'm your host, Matt Druin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Go Big Live Real Estate Investors podcast. I'm your host, Matt Druin. And today we have special guest, Todd Dexheimer, co-founder and principal of Endurance Capital, owner of Cretan Construction and host of the Pillars of Wealth Creation podcast. Todd is bringing a wealth of knowledge to Go Big Live. With over 15 years of experience, Todd has been involved in everything from single family and apartments to mobile home parks and even a ski resort. I got to ask about that later. Alongside his partners at Endurance Capital, they have collectively operated nearly half a billion worth of multifamily and commercial real estate assets across the United States. So whether you're a seasoned investor looking to enhance your strategies or a beginner seeking guidance, this event is a value opportunity to level up and go big. So Todd, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So I like to start the show with the same questions with everybody. You were born, now you're here. What happened in I between? Yeah. <laughs> well, lots of stuff. That's a, that could be a whole heap of a story, but I was I was born and, and raised in Minnesota still. I actually live in Minnesota. Big family. I was the youngest of six and nobody was an entrepreneur in my family until really I became an entrepreneur. And now I got myself and my sister and a brother of mine are, we're all, we all own our businesses. So it's kind of cool. My dad was a manufacturing engineer, W-2 his whole life. And the whole family has been W-2s, in-laws and everybody. Now we're some entrepreneurs in here. So it's a fun mix and looking forward to my kids, hopefully becoming entrepreneurs soon. But yeah, so I started out as a high school teacher. I was teaching industrial tech, so woods, metals, welding, stuff like that. Absolutely. You and, were the cool uh, shop teacher. Yeah, I was the shop teacher. I was the I was that guy and still have all 10. So that's a good thing. <laughs> but you know, I was honestly I was an entrepreneur from probably a fairly young age. I had a lawn mowing business when I was a kid. I had a, a crate building business as a kid. Um so to just love that side of the deal. And, and as I got into teaching, it just wasn't for me. So transitioned out of that, uh, started transitioning into real estate in 2008 and fully transitioned out of my uh, teaching career in 2010 after convincing my wife to leave the job. But luckily I was a teacher, so I was only making 30 grand a year. So that's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. So that's the short story. I ended up flipping a lot of houses, flipped a you know, over a hundred houses, bought a bunch of one to four family rental houses, and then transitioned from there to large multifamily, which is our niche right now. We're buying multifamily. We own some retail, some industrial, and some assisted living as well. But multifamily is the, the bread and butter. 
Absolutely. So most investors that have went big usually have a seminal moment or sort of an aha moment that really flipped that switch where they went mm. over into that. What would you say that was? Yeah, I can tell you exactly. It was a, well, there's several like things that have probably pushed me that direction. But the one thing, it was just a simple conversation. It was a mentor of mine and we were talking and I'm telling him that I, we were talking about a, a mutual connection of person. And I said, I want to be like that person. I want to buy, you know, they're buying. I think at the time we were talking, they had 132 unit they just bought. They bought like a 209 unit. And I'm like, I want to do that. That's what I want to get to. But so I'm like, I got to get a couple more of these, you know, properties that I'm buying right now. At the time I was buying like 20 unit properties. Like I'll buy a couple of these and I'll work my way up there. And he said, why not just go buy a hundred unit building right now? And I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, you're smarter than him. You've got more, you've been in the industry longer. There's no reason you can't do it. And it was simply that. That was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I can do that. And so within just a few months, I went out and I bought a 84 unit building and then a 120 unit building and it was off to the races and haven't looked back since. So it was simply somebody just kicking me in the butt a little bit, shifting my paradigm to say, dude, what are you doing? You're holding yourself back. Don't let yourself hold yourself back. Yeah. For me, it was, you know, for 13 years, I thought I knew from the beginning when I bought my first four family owner occupied that that was the bug that bit me. And I was like, I have yeah. to do 50, 100, 200 unit deals. And, but something I had this limiting belief where I thought that I had to be big to go big. Mm -hmm. So I took the next 15 years banging my head against the wall, buying, you know, two, every two, three, four family and the neighborhoods that were my target. And at the end of the day, these properties were paying me maybe like 400 to $500 a month. Well, I ended up becoming financially independent by acquiring enough of these properties. And then I realized when I woke up, I was like, my wife still has to work. My wife is actually a educator. She was a teacher who just left her job, I think last year. And I was like, this is the time I need to do this. And it was the first commercial deal that I did. It was a million dollar deal. And that one deal alone replaced her income with that one deal. Yeah. And that was when I was like, I can't go back. Yeah. What I am can't. I doing? Right. <laughs> I can't go back. So yeah, I mean, was... it's similar. It was uh, honestly, it was right away when I first started this business. It was back in 2008. And I listened to David Lindell. He actually came to town and spoke. And for those of you who don't know David Lindell, he's an educator. He owns a bunch of multifamily. Exactly. Great couple of great books that he's written. So look him up. But he was talking about these big apartment buildings. I'm like, that's where I'm going. And then I read some other you know, Ken McElroy books and other stuff like that. I'm like, yep, that's what I'm doing, these big apartments. And then I started buying single family homes, duplexes, fourplexes, because I couldn't see how I could get there. Right. Mm -hmm. I just had these limiting beliefs similar to you. That's for somebody different, somebody not like me. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept on doing what I was doing. I always had that dream, right? But just didn't know really that I could do it, honestly. So you just started with the belief, right? So you had the belief. Where did you go from there? Uh, from, well, you're saying from believing when I believed that I could do the 84 unit filing or the bigger yes, stuff after my absolutely. mentor said that. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, from there it was, let's do this. And so, like I said, I bought the 84, I bought the 120 and buying, you know, a a 224 and and so on. And it just kept on growing that. And that's, so now we've got uh, over a half a billion in assets that we've purchased. And currently, I think currently in our portfolio, because we've sold some stuff. So currently in portfolio is like 3000 or so units and another 450 of assisted living. And like I said, some retail, I got a hundred thousand square feet of retail, hundred thousand square feet of industrial. And so it was just, Man, that just that little switch, man, it's just amazing. And hey, looking back, it's, you could have done a lot earlier. No, I don't have no regrets, really, honestly. It's like my journey was my journey, mm-hmm. and that's okay. But but yeah, it's been fun. And just continue to, to love it and continue to want to grow it. So let's talk about the first deal that was the 84, 84 units, like step-by-step. It's a fun one. Yeah. So you decided to, I imagine you got some battle scars in the process. And if you didn't, I'd be surprised, but- I got uh, lots of battle scars, man. <laughs> so step-by-step, step, kind of tell us through, uh, walk us through that that deal, how you you know how you found it, the origin of it. Yeah. So that I was buying properties actually in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was buying the 20 unit, 10 unit type stuff in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I reached out to a broker that was based in Lexington, Kentucky, was talking to him about some stuff he had in Lexington, went and visited. And he really, he actually, they helped convince me that I could do it. They believed in me. It was amazing. Like the relationship that I struck up really quickly with them was really good and was able to then find this 84 unit. And what actually happened is they brought me to several different buildings and I underwrote them all. And there was a 46 unit building that I was really interested in buying. And so I was going to get, I was going to hold myself back, but I'm like, Hey, I'll buy this 46 unit, but I really want something else to be able to buy in town. I got to, I got to buy at least another 46 unit to make it worth coming into Lexington. Mm-hmm. And he's, well, let me do some digging. And he ended up offering on that 46 unit and then offering on this 84 unit that mm-hmm. was right next door. So it was going to yeah. be great. I was going to have both of them. The 46 unit ended up falling through, never got that deal under contract. Somebody else bought it. But the 84 went through, ended up buying it. It was a 1970 built, crappy building, crappy neighborhood. But hey, I got in the corridor, right? So the battle scars on that, man, it's just... So let me go back a little bit. I had to raise $960,000 to purchase Mm -hmm. the building. So that was my capital raise. That was my first big capital raise. I had been raising capital from investors to do fix and flips. That was a really good thing Mm -hmm. because I already had a network, but I thought it was going to be so easy to raise this money. And so I went out and I I literally, I created a Word document. That was my business plan. And Mm -hmm. that's what I showed to investors was literally a Word document with some pictures in it. It was so cheesy. Uh I didn't really do like a, I did kind of a webinar, but it was like super, the whole thing was really cheesy. (laughs) And I just presented it to a few people that I figured would invest. I went to my network and I was talking to them and one guy was willing to invest a million dollars. Another guy was willing to invest, you know, $300,000 and another guy was going to invest like 200,000. So I'm like, oh, this will be easy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went to them first. The one guy that had a million dollars, he was going to invest, invested zero. The, the guy that had $300,000 to invest, invested $50,000. And the guy that had $200,000 to invest ended up investing a hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So I was like, crap. (laughs) (laughs) The lesson learned, don't assume everybody that says they can invest will invest. You have to understand that, you know, you're going to get a lot less than what you maybe 
expect from the start. So pounded the pavement, worked really hard, ended up getting that $960,000 raised and, and got into this deal. And the first thing that went wrong is due diligence. I was using the current property management company because they came highly recommended, mm-hmm. found out that they committed fraud mm-hmm. through the process. They fraudulated the books. They were pretending tenants were living there that weren't living there. They were cooking the books. Mm-hmm. So prior to closing, we ended up setting up an escrow. Should have, It was like a $50,000 escrow. Should have been probably $150,000 escrow. Mm-hmm. With the seller, hired a different property management company, kind of shotgun. Ended up having to fire that property management company as it went because they just weren't set up for doing what we were doing. But then got into it, man. And there was all kinds of the biggest stuff. It's just maintenance issues. Stuff, Some stuff I should have caught. Some stuff now that I know, look, if you were going to buy a 1970s building, you got to expect a lot of stuff to go wrong. You just have to expect a lot of stuff to go wrong. Some of it you can't even predict. And so you just got to budget like a, you need, you really need, if you're going to buy a 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s or older, you need an oh crap budget. And quite frankly, no matter what, like you just need an oh crap budget, but the oh crap budget has to be even bigger for the, like the seventies and late and later stuff or earlier stuff. So yeah, man, we had plumbing issues. We had flooded units due to plumbing, corroded plumbing would all of a sudden go out and man, it would flood five or four units. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to rebuild the unit and then the next building would flood. And then it just was, it was just crazy. It was one after another. We had a gas line burst in in the middle of the under the underground mm-hmm. underground gas line burst. We had a plumbing line between the street and our building that burst on Memorial Day. So you can, can imagine that bill. Like huh? it was just constant these issues. And of course, we had leasing issues. We had all kinds of stuff that went wrong. We had a fire and hire so many times. And I learned a lot of how to manage property management companies in that case, because I was using third-party property management. So I uh, really learned so much on how to look at metrics and to really dive into these metrics and make sure you're paying attention to the trends, to, you know, just you've got to stay on your KPIs and understand what's happening with the property and react quickly and be able to be responsive to that and fire a property management company quickly too. I held on to those guys too long. Mm -hmm. In the end, it's a happy story. My investors and I made money. I think I paid my investors like a 16 IRR, Mm -hmm. which is not amazing, but it's good. You know, Mm -hmm. we all made money. We all walked away in the end happy. And I realized I'll never buy a C-class property again. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's back up a little bit. Um, well, one thing I was, I want to touch on plumbing eventually too, because I have some nightmare stories, but on the raise, right? So you had these three, you know, these three people, they're like, I'm set. I'm like, I'm overraised, right? And then when it came to the commitment, they basically ghosted you or didn't meet your expectations. Yeah. So how did you scramble? And were these people that you found to finish out the raise in your network? How did you go specifically about making that ask and presenting that? Did it start with a phone call or an email blast? Or was it like, hey, let's meet at this Cuban restaurant down the street, you know, down the down the street and have you know and, and have a bite to eat and talk about this opportunity I have. Tell me about that kind of in like granular detail. Yeah, they were all in my network. It was also 506B. It was my first real raise. So yeah, they were all in my network. And I started calling everybody that had 
done business with me in the past, every single person that had lent any money when I was flipping, everybody, anybody who I had an inkling maybe had some money sitting around, I called them up and I talked to them about the deal and you know showed them my fancy business plan. Uh, <laughs> I met people for coffee. I never took anybody to fancy restaurants or anything like that. I didn't, quite frankly, really have the money, nor do I spend money like that. But yeah, just it was just knocking on doors, right? It, not knocking on doors, but calling people up, right? And just saying, hey, this is a, I got this opportunity. Would you like to learn more? And everybody said, yeah, I would like to learn more. And most, quite frankly, most people that I called did end up investing in it. And, but it was, I thought, again, I thought it was going to be so easy. And it took me several months to raise that capital. It was only $960,000, which is maybe a lot of money, but man, it's just like crazy to think that I <laughs> had a hard time raising $960,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's that whole debate in the real estate industry. I mean, especially, I guess it may apply more towards the single family through four family space. And that if you got the deal, the money will come. Once you start swimming upstream into these different types of deals. I mean, you know, I talked about this you know, with Brian Burke, who's a guest on our podcast. He's like, no, it starts with the money first because you don't do yeah, go 100%. to- yeah, you don't do go to a grocery store and say, "All right, these are the you know these are the things I'm going to buy." Right. Now, now I need the money. It's no, you go to the grocery store with the money first, and then you buy you know you buy the product. So, what was the minimum investment that you had on this particular deal? That one I think was thirty thousand dollars at the time. So, so that's my lowest that I've done. I've, I've since raised it now to fifty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thirty thousand dollars was my minimum, and of course, when you make it thirty thousand dollars, most people want to come in at thirty thousand dollars, and wow. so it takes a little longer. The, the lower your minimum is, that's where people want to come in at. It, yeah, it, and to go back to what you just said, there is like people don't invest in the deal; they, they're investing in you. They're not looking at this it, just because you find a fantastic, the better deal you have, all the money will come. It's just not true. You can show somebody crazy returns. That's actually going to probably make more people skeptical. Mm-hmm. So a really good deal is likely going to not attract as many people just because they're a little skeptical, especially if you're showing them those big numbers. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. So how did you structure the deal? You mentioned it was a 506B type mm-hmm. of structure. What were the yeah, what were the splits and the promote and all that stuff? Yeah, so kind of kind of your typical, really simple split. So it was a seventy thirty split. There was no other, you know, waterfalls, no nothing else. Well, 70, 70 30 split and a seven percent preferred return, mm-hmm. and then I had a two percent asset management fee and a two percent acquisitions fee, and that was it. Okay, so we'll fast forward here a little bit. You know about plumbing, right? So I've, for some reason, because I had this property down in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is like a bedroom community outside of Charlotte. And this property, like I would get a call from the property manager, you know, like clockwork, you know, three or four times a month, Matt, a pipe bust. And I'm like, you know, and you know, we had some old, you know, old South people working on this property. I'm like, seriously, again, and yeah, so they bring, sabotaging me. <laughs> yeah. So they send in a plumber with a backhoe. And of course they'd have to shut off the, the water to the entire yeah. community to do this. And they'd fix, they dig up the whole lawn there and then they'd fix the repair. They turn the water back on again. And when you repressurize the lines, then it, you can basically create a new, a new yep. leak. 
and another yeah. pipe will bust like a couple of weeks later. So no, I've definitely been, definitely been there. So, so when you're doing that, so that's lesson on that one is if you've got a, a pipe that goes from the street into the building and it springs a leak, don't replace a section, replace the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Every time, just replace the whole thing because it's going to cost you a little bit more to replace the whole thing, but it's going to save you a ton of money in the end. Because I guarantee you that you're going to have to fix that another three to four times. It's just going to happen. And it's going to be like three to four times within the next three or four months. And you're going to be pissed off and you got to dig a new hole every time and fix that stupid leak. And like you said, you shut the water off to the building, you, you irritate tenants, and then you got set up costs for that new company. And so what maybe should have cost you $15,000 ends up costing you $5,000, you know, five times, whatever it is. So it's like, <laughs> do, it for, do it right the first time, and then you don't have to worry about it again. Yeah. So what was your business plan going into this into this deal? And then how did that overlay with what happened in, in reality? Yeah. So again, typical business plan, we we're going to, you know, I was going to buy it, re- uh, renovate all the units, including the, you know, common areas and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, landscaping and siding and all you know, the whole works, raise rents, and then sell it in about five years. Everything worked out probably fairly decent actually on that front. So renovated the units and rented them out nicely. We had some struggles. It didn't go completely smooth as far as renovations go. You know, We went through a couple different contractors to find the right one that could do the work. And we had some leasing troubles with a couple of the leasing agents that we had to get rid of, but mm-hmm. ended up getting everything leased out nicely and actually got above pro forma rents and was able to sell it. And I sold it in three years versus five years. And the main reason I sold it in three years versus five well, there was two reasons. One, because I was sick of the plumbing issues. Okay. So <laughs> that was number one. Number two is I was honestly done with C-class properties. So we had, and this plays into some of the excitement too. This building was went through the start of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we just finished up the last units. And so I was at like 70% occupancy because I just, I was like, I'm going to hammer through these units. Mm-hmm. So I finish up all these units, hammer through all these units. I hire a new property management company. They they get these units all delivered to them. And then the COVID shutdown happens. And I'm like, mm-hmm. crap, I'm going <laughs> to lose my butt on this thing. <laughs> we ended up renting everything out really quickly. It worked out really well. Got, like I said, got above pro forma rents for everything. And But what I saw with any C-class property I had is that those residents just didn't pay rent like the other properties I had mm-hmm. that were B-class or A-class. Those residents paid rent. They didn't miss a beat. It wasn't like anything happened where the C-class... It was definitely different. Mm -hmm. And I just was done with that type of drama Mm -hmm. and wanted a different, I guess, product type. And plus it was done with these, like I said, these plumbing issues and stuff like that. So end up saying, hey, let's sell this one. I sold a couple others all at the same time. Probably should have held on to them, quite frankly, for another year because Mm -hmm. the market absolutely skyrocketed, but Uh (laughs) (laughs) hindsight... But yeah, I've made some good profits on all of them, including that one. Yeah. So before we go into the live uh, Q&A section uh, part of the show, what can you leave our listeners with in terms of words of advice 
our target audience with this podcast are real estate investors that have, you know, maybe a couple of units under the belt that really know that they have to go big in order to make significant strides towards financial freedom or financial independence or whatever it is. What words of advice would you give them if they want to go big? Yeah. I mean, if, look, if you want to go big, first of all, make sure that's what you want to do. I guess that's number one is make sure that's actually what you want to do. And you do want to do this. If you end up going bigger, you're going to spend time on it. It's going to take brain power. It's going to take time. And so look, make sure you that's what you want to do. Make sure that's a goal of yours and truly a passion that you're going to put the time and energy into it. And then from there, if you're like, yeah, that, that is, it, it, I do want to do this. You have to take action, right? You have to underwrite deals. You have to talk with brokers. You have to offer on deals. You have to take action. I know so many people that they dream about it. They think about it. They want to do it, but they don't pull the trigger. And I'm, I don't want you to rush in and buy a bad property just because you heard somebody say you have to take action, but you have to move along and start to get results. And, and the other part about that is it's, it's consistent persistence. Like you, you, it's always pushing and moving yourself forward a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time and continue to move the ball forward. Uh, that's going to get that's going to get the results. There's three main ingredients, in my opinion, and probably more, right? There's a hundred main ingredients, but whatever. <laughs> it's taking action, it's courage, and it's persistence. Those three things are going to get you major results. Absolutely. Great words of advice, Todd. Well, if you're out there listening to this podcast in podcast land, we're going to go into our live Q&A session with our live studio audience. So if you want to get direct access to ask questions to real estate titans like Todd Dexheimer, Gino Barbaro, Brian Burke, Stephen Libman, Chris Savant, Savant 70, Reed Goosens, definitely make sure to get in on the Go Big Live Real Estate Investors Facebook group and getting on the live Q&A and masterminding we have going on in that group right now. So for now, signing out. Thanks for coming on, Todd. Yeah, appreciate it.